Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. In the mid-1960s, two people participated in a research to analyze the effects that darkness has on the human psyche. Um, they went in two separate caves. Um, both tried to guess how long they stayed and were off by months. One stayed in the cave for 88 days, the other for 126 days. And when they got out, they, they realized that darkness has a drastic effect on you. One took what he thought was a nap and ended up sleeping for 30 hours, taking a short nap. Darkness can have some drastic and baffling effects on our psyche. Spiritually, it can do the same thing as well. It can cause us to fall. It can cause us to stumble. It can have us thinking right is wrong and wrong is right. Darkness can be confusing and can cause serious problems. The psalmist in 119.105 said, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And if you're familiar with that scripture and understand that you ever walked in darkness, you understand the need for a lamp. Because a lamp helps you see where you're going, make sure you're going the right direction, make sure you're not falling into holes or deep pits or anything like that. And it prevents those things from happening. But the word of God can help keep you out of darkness. It can be that light. We are continuing on in our series in, the, in, in uh, John, the second chapter, looking at verses 13 through 25 this morning. And we're still talking about Jesus in real life. If you are familiar with this text, you know that this is the text that Jesus is going into the temple. He just left the wedding feast a couple of days or months prior, and he's going into the temple. He is 30 years old at this point, and he's beginning to start his ministry in life. So when you talk about darkness, today we'll see Jesus is in their face, and yet they still don't recognize him. So our big idea today is Jesus claims total authority. He claims total authority. He doesn't request it or ask for it. He demands it. Whether we like it or not, he is going to establish authority in the temple. He's going to establish authority with Christianity. He's going to establish authority with worship in order for us to be effective and have a foundation. Everyone here are familiar with building a home or building a house or building anything. You need to have a strong foundation. And Jesus is attempting to do this. And living in a world that we're living in and seeing everything that's going on in it, you, you can realize that we still need a Savior that has not surrendered his authority. I think A.W. Toza said it best when he wrote, while it looks like things are out of control, behind the scenes there is a God who hasn't surrendered his authority. So when I read that, the first thing I thought, like, Phew. I'm glad God hasn't surrendered his authority to this world in the midst of everything that's going on. And it's, it's just assuring to hear that. All of us know that. Most of us know that. But it's just good to hear it. And that's just an awesome thing. So our first point, we're going to look at Jesus 
claims authority over the temple. Jesus claims authority over the temple. When I was a drill sergeant, we, we loved day one of pickup. It was the day that you first get the soldiers in. Wonderful day for a drill sergeant. That's the day we look forward to. We had guys that would look at full metal jacket before pickup, just excited. Even if guys had the day off, they would come in for pickup. It was a very important day in the life of a drill sergeant. And a lot of it gets lost in the media, and then now they've changed it. But you get a lot of yelling, you get a lot of throwing things around, a lot of confusion, a lot of time hacks, giving guys 10 seconds to do something. It takes 20 to 30 seconds to do it in, and just a lot of yelling. You see guys cry, you see guys lose bodily function. All of this happening during day one of pickup. We call it the shock attack. We just go in and we just reap havoc on those soldiers when they first come in. I see a couple of soldiers in here now looking at me funny and kind of smiling, remembering those days. But a lot of the reasons it gets lost on people is why. Why did your son do a shark attack? And the bottom line is they're trying to establish authority. They're trying to establish authority. They're trying to let these civilians know, trainees know, that, hey, we are the authorities here. I don't know what your background is. I don't know where you came from or what you've been going through. Drill sergeants reign supreme here. That's why the cadence go everywhere I go, there's a drill sergeant there. There's a drill sergeant there. And we are there to establish authority, and we are there to execute the commands of those higher over us, issue out task conditions and standards, and hold these guys to a standard in order for them to, to finish. And... As we all know, a lot of them don't, but that's the reason why we have a shock attack. But what if I tell you the drill song wasn't the creators of shock attack? What if I tell you Jesus was? And that's what we're going to look at in this first part. That's kind of what I'm used to, a lot of soldiers used to, and this kind of what Jesus is doing this morning. He's that guy. Without the explicit words, he is that guy right now in the second chapter of John, beginning at verse 13, and he is laying down the law. But let's look at what he says in verses 13 through 17. He said, the Jewish Passover was near, and so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling oxen, sheep, and doves, and he also found the money changers sitting there. After making a whip out of cords, he drove everyone out of the temple with their sheep and oxen. He also poured out the money changers, coins, and overturned the tables. He told those who were selling doves, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And his disciples remembered that it was written, it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Like I said, Drisson didn't create shock attacks. This is Jesus' version of it. This is Jesus establishing his authority. We all can know and, and see that, that God is 100%, that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. There's no question of that. This is the first attack on the temple that Jesus performed. The second one comes as he is dying on the cross and the veil of the temple is torn in two. In the same way soldiers were shocked at day one pickup, the people in the temple were totally shocked. When Jesus started going in and he started turning over tables, telling them to get out and do this and that. 
And if you could imagine a, a temple area doing Passover with thousands upon thousands of people, and you got one guy just coming in there, lone survivor, just tossing things and telling people to get out and move. And you got to know, remember that Jesus is not a priest. He's not a priest. He's not a Levi. He has no religious affiliation with Israel or nothing like that. The disciples, the Jews at this time were looking at Jesus and saying, who is this? Why are you desecrating our temple with no authority? Jesus is looking at him, a man with authority, telling them to get out of his father's temple and pushing them out. This should have been a clue to them to let them know, in fact, that this was Jesus. Yet they didn't recognize him at all. Because if you look at the priests and the Levi, these were the ones that constantly read the Bible, constantly looking for Jesus' return. They had 30 years to recognize that Jesus was who he said he was and who, why he was doing what he was doing. Because he was born in Bethlehem, all the stuff leading up into this 30th year was written in Scripture that they could have read up on and, and see. And you look at verse 17, and you say, zeal for your house will consume me. That's a quote from Psalm 69 and 9. David said that quote when he was talking about a lot of other things. But one of the things he was talking about was his affection and love for God. So when you saying, you hear someone saying, zeal for your house has consumed me, it's meaning that he, he loved God, the house of God so much that if anyone desecrated or do anything outside of what God would have for him to do, him or she to do, they will get upset and get offended and want to defend what God wants them to defend. That's the same, same thing that you see Jesus doing here and why he did it and why that text was so important in what was going on. So Jesus was upset over religious corruption. These Jews in the temple were doing nothing different than they were all normally do during Passover. The only difference was is that they were selling more for profit than anything else. So if something cost $5 during those times or a dollar during those times, they were charging $5. So they were overpricing the sacrifices for the people for Passover. And those were the things that Jesus identified when he walked into the room. He saw that they were taking advantage of the people at the time. So when he kicked them out, he was kicking out those people who were there for all the wrong reasons. They weren't there to worship God. They weren't there to sell offerings of, to God, they were there to make a profit more than anything. They didn't care about God. They didn't care about what, they, uh, what the Passover meant. They were there just to make money. And when you have dollar signs in front of your face instead of God-like signs in front of your face, that can be a problem for you. The second point that he makes is he, has a, he claims authority over Christianity. And you could say religion, but and no Christ, no Christianity. And the source of religion in Jesus Christ is based on the Bible. So if you have authority over Christianity and you are Christ, you are establishing your reign, your superiority, not as a, I demand you do this or that, but I'm saying that's who I am. I'm come from God. I have all power in my hand. I'm here to do this. And you are... Um, you know I was coming, and now I'm here, and now it's time to serve. But let's look at what the, the Jews replied to um, Jesus. They said, so the Jews replied to him, what signs will you show us 
for doing these things. Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. Therefore, the Jews said, this temple took 46 years to build. And will you raise it up in three days? For he was speaking about the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the statement Jesus had made. During close to the end of the cycle, when soldiers were getting ready to go get assignments to go to the next station, we would call out a roster. So if I'm in first platoon, I would say roster number 101, Fort Hood. Roster number 102, Fort Campbell. Roster number 103, I would say Fort Couch. Roster number 105, uh, Fort Campbell. Roster number 406, 106, Fort Living Room. And at the end of telling soldiers where they were going to, they were somewhere ready. I said, any question? They would say, hey. I got a question. Just like, where's Fort Couch and Living Room? I said, oh, you're going home. You didn't make it. And that's what we see in this verse. They weren't convinced that Jesus was who he said he was. No amount of miracles could convince them that he was Jesus. In the same way, no amount of task condition and standards, no amount of leadership the drill sergeant provide will prepare these soldiers to be soldiers. So they were still there to say had on the same uniform as everyone else, but they were going to Fort Living Room and Fort Couch, but other soldiers going to these other installations that existed, and it's just the way it was. So they were looking for a sign from the sky. They were looking for something like fireworks. Jesus could raise someone for the dead. He could heal someone. He could do all these marvelous things, but that didn't do anything to persuade them that he was Jesus. They looked at Jesus as being just a man. To them, he put his pants on the same way he, they put their pants on. He looked like them. He dressed like them. He talked like a man. He acted like a man. He didn't have a halo over his head. He didn't walk, move it on a cloud. He didn't have a heavenly expression on his face, even if it was such a thing. That's, they just saw him just as a man. So Jesus said to them, I'll give you a sign. Destroy this temple, and I will rebuild it. I will raise it up in three days. Although this was a future fact, they didn't know that. So this was an indication that Jesus not only knows the past, he knows the future. They didn't know at that time that they were going to kill him, but Jesus did. They didn't know at the time that they would have him hung on the cross, but Jesus did. They didn't know at that time that they would turn him over to the Roman government to be crucified, but Jesus did. His death was verified by the Romans stabbing a spear in his side and, and also with the, the leaders from Israel standing there and observing. They didn't know none of these things. So Jesus saying, you wanted a sign, I will give you a deferred sign. And some scholars believe that when Jesus said, you destroy this temple, I'll rebuild it in three days. They give the impression that Jesus was pointing at himself when he said that, trying to give them a hint. That that's what he was talking about, because also that was in the scripture that that's how Jesus was going to die. But the Jews still didn't pick up on the fact that it was Jesus and that he was all-knowing. He knows what we don't know. He knows what we know. There's nothing we can tell him that he don't know already. But in a book by A.W. Tozer, The Knowledge of the Holy, he can say this better than I can. He, he writes these words. God knows all that can be known, and this he knows instantly 
and with the fullness of perfection that includes every possible item of knowledge concerning everything that exists or could have existed anywhere in the universe at any time in the past or that may exist in the centuries or ages yet unborn. God knows all, all causes, all thoughts, all mysteries, all enigmas, all feelings, all desires, every unuttered secret, all thrones and dominions, all personalities, all things visible and invisible in heaven and in earth. Because God knows all things perfectly. He knows no thing better than any other thing, but knows all things equally well. He never discovers anything. He's never surprised, never amazed. He never wonders about anything, nor does he seek information or ask questions. God is self-existent and self-existent knowledge. God is self-contained and self-contained knowledge and knows what no creature can ever know. He knows himself perfectly, and only the infinite can have infinite knowledge of himself. This, my friend, is God. He brings it home with the last point, authority over worship. And I just love worship. I, I just love coming to church and worship, hearing songs. I can't sing. I love to sing, but I, I just keep that in the car. But I just love worship in every form, whether we are here in this place or doing something out in the community, I just love worship. And Jesus is claiming authority over worship as well. And we honor him with our worship because there's nothing we can give him that he hasn't either made or know about. It's no surprises that we can say surprise birthday, Jesus, or surprise event, so on and so forth. He is just the, 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 the reason why we're here to worship. But in this 23rd to 25th verse, Jesus is talking about those who aren't worshiping in true worship. And this is what he says in verse 23. While he was in Jerusalem doing the Passover festival, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all, and because he did not need anyone to testify about man. For he himself knew what was in man. So if you go back up and look at that second line, it says, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he, had, he was doing. That's when they believed. So Jesus is talking about those who have false worship. So he's saying those who... who don't worship me in spirit and in truth or just there for what I can do for me. An example of that, you ask for something, God bless you with either finances or with a job or with a vehicle, so on and so forth. And once you get that item, you move on from Jesus. So they were worshiping him for what he could actually do, not for who he is. They believed in him, but he didn't believe in, him, in them. They trusted in him, but he didn't trust in them. They had faith in him, but he didn't have faith in them. We see the presence of an artificial faith that does not save. It's a reality that must be recognized. Some people who claim to believe in Jesus have a non-saving faith. So Jesus didn't need someone to tell him about man. He knows about man. He was there when man was created. He was there when Cain killed Abel. 
He was there when Jacob took Esau's blessings. He was there when all these things, when man turned on man. He was there when Noah had to build an ark because the world was just so up topsy-turvy that he had to wipe everything out and start all over again. He was there for all that. And he is telling them that I'm not going to put my faith in you. I'm not going to take your pat on the back and go with it. I'm going to continue to do my father's will regardless of how you feel about it. I'm going to move forward and do this that the father has for me as I start my ministry. I'm going to close with this story about a carnival performer named Cannonball. In his younger days, he was blasted out of a cannon 1,200 times, pulled a 90-pound weight with his eyelids, and he did other kind of bizarre stunts. And someone asked him, Cannonball, why, why did you do these stunts? He said, do you know what it's like to feel and hear the applause of thousands of people? That's why I did it. Some people do things every day for people, but not for God. We check the block every week. Go to church, check. Sing a song, check. Do a prayer, check. Talk to someone about God, check. But is it true worship? You may never join a or lead a life group, may never go out to serve Saturday or talk to someone that, that you know that don't know Christ in the part of their sins. Says so some people will refuse to follow Jesus openly. Wow, will never choose to follow Jesus openly. So no, Jesus wasn't going to put his trust in humans. Knowing even his disciples will turn on him and deny him and leave him when he most needed them the most. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.